Welcome to Making Strides for Animal Chiropractic, where we promote integration and collaboration. Whether you are just starting your practice or you are ready to push the profession forward, we aim to provide you all the tools necessary to form relationships and educate your community. After all, spines of all sizes deserve to be adjusted. Welcome to our podcast and thanks for listening. Hey guys, this is Dr. Katie with Making Strides for Animal Chiropractic and I want to talk about the mindset uh, that I don't want you to run into. I think when we decide we want to work on animals and offer our uh, gift of chiropractic to them, um, we think what we do is amazing, but other people unfortunately may see what we do as um, questionable. So I don't want you to get into a place where you start to think I'm a freak of nature nobody wants me, I'm an outcast. I want you to instead think I'm a freaking unicorn and it's hard to come by somebody who does what I do because um, I personally have um, hits to my ego uh, when my own mom, who whenever she goes to, she has her own business and she goes to like these business network meetings and they go around the, the table and they play these fun name games, the two truths and a lie. I don't know if you guys have ever played this, but basically you go around the table and you uh, have three statements and two are true and one is a lie. And she always uses me as her lie where she says, uh, my daughter's an animal chiropractor and everyone thinks she's lying. Um, and you know that it hits me pretty hard every time that she tells me that people are mystified and, um, I don't want to say weirded out, but, um, they just think it's strange that they know someone who does that. And, um, I personally don't think what I do is very strange. I think what I do is very normal. I love what I do. Um, I think it helps a lot of animals and I wish it were more normal. And, um, it can get tough though especially uh, working in um, the United States of America where conventional westernized medicine is predominant and I'm the the freak of nature walking around that does CrossFit and I'm in a Walmart and I'm trying to explain to people why conservative options are the way to go and it can get really really hard Um, but I just wanted to reiterate in this episode particularly What you do is so awesome because healthcare is changing. People are starting to wake up. They're starting to realize that, okay, maybe medication isn't the answer. Maybe it's just a Band-Aid. You know, maybe I don't have to do surgery. Maybe I can try some other options. And just maybe I might not have to put my animal down if I can't afford the other treatments that are available to me. I can't tell you uh, how many owners call me with uh, those Uh, things in mind. And um, I think that I pay particular attention to the owners that talk to me and want these options. Um, But I wanted to take a minute in this episode, probably more than a couple minutes, about what we have to offer to veterinarians. Because when we get out, we're like, okay, I have all this stuff to offer to pets. But we don't necessarily think about what you have to offer to veterinarians that take care of those pets. And those people are who we should be marketing to. Not to say marketing to uh, business to consumer, straight to the animal owner is not wrong. Or it's, it's not wrong of us to do that or to want to target those people, but you have more impact and you can change the profession more by marketing to veterinarians. And I'm not a vet, so I don't really know how to step into these shoes. But from what I understand 
it can be very draining to take care of animals all day and have a limited tool set and to have owners griping at you, um, to put it lightly, that uh, financially they can't pay for it or you're not compassionate because uh, you don't give away your care for free. Um, and then you do so many dogs or cats or horses a day and you just don't feel valued. Compassion fatigue is a very real thing to where veterinary medicine is one of the very top professions in the United States where people commit suicide because they just don't know what to do. Um, and I feel like, um, a lot of veterinarians, I listened to some podcasts, um, about integrative veterinary medicine, and I don't know your opinions on this. Dr. Karen Becker is kind of leading the way on, um, you know, facilitating this change and this perception of integrative veterinary medicine because vets are so disillusioned with conventional medicine that they feel like they have to learn something else or go pay more money for education in order to have the life they want. Because can you imagine working in an emergency animal hospital all day where, you know, you have to euthanize a perfectly healthy animal because the owner may not want to pay for the treatment that's only like 200 bucks? Or can you imagine uh, doing a procedure um, on an animal and the owner never comes and picks it up and then you have to find a home for it? Like, I can't even imagine how many dogs I would have if I worked in a vet clinic. I, I would have too many. Um... And I wanted to mention in this episode particularly how to market yourself to these veterinarians um, so that way they know what you have to offer to their practice because compassion fatigue is real and, um, you know, time is of the essence. There's no greater resource than time. And there is such a huge void and a huge place for us to fill animal chiropractors to partner with these veterinarians and offer their patients more options um, while maybe getting into something that we would rather be doing because it's a lose-lose situation where the vet is frustrated, doesn't know what to do with their practice or their life, and then we're frustrated as a human chiropractor having to deal with insurance. So we get into animals because we want to get away from people and health insurance, and then vets want to learn animal chiropractic in order to offer more to their practice or maybe uh, change the nature of their practice so that way they have more options to offer. So... Um, we're losing on both fronts because that's a lot of money on education where we could just pair these two together and uh, cut out the middleman, if you will, of time and money wasted. So the biggest way to bridge this disparity is through the lunch and learn. And you guys have heard me talk about lunch and learns in the past. It's uh, kind of like the bedrock of the foundation of uh, my Making Strides program. But in order to have a successful lunch and learn, you need to have cogent, I don't want to say arguments, but you need to have enticements or a reason why the vet should use you, not just patients get better. You can handle patients on your own, but patients get better together. So um, I start my lunch and learns with a joke. <laughs> you don't have to. That's just kind of my personality. Um, I say, how have you ever had a dog walk into your practice saying, I have a headache or my back hurts? Like they laugh. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, but for real though, how dogs aren't like people, so they can't do that. But they suffer many of the same musculoskeletal disorders as people. And once you go there, you say, okay, well, they have the same conditions as us and they age. 
five to six times faster than us. Most of your pets have a lifespan under age 20, whereas we live to age 80 or above. So degenerative musculoskeletal disorders are a very real thing. Chiropractors, I know we can treat a lot of different conditions or help with a lot of conditions, not necessarily cure anything, um, but we optimize the body's ability to heal with, you know, all these things that may or may not be chiropractic related. But even if you just target musculoskeletal or spinal degenerative disorders, there's a huge market for you in senior pets. Anything from age eight and onwards, uh, their animal needs to see a chiropractor. So I say, okay, you know, animals are different than people. They also age a lot faster than us. So what do you do with all these senior chronic pets that may not be good candidates for all these medications or may not be a good candidate for all of these surgical procedures? Um, and your owners as well, not to mention, are doing conservative treatment for themselves. So your human that goes to a chiropractor has a pet. They bring it into the vet's office and they say, hey, uh, I noticed this with my dog and I want to do chiropractic. Where the heck are you going to send that person if you don't know anybody or you don't have anyone? It's a huge gaping hole. And then you also have the owners financially that can't afford a treatment. So for example, um, a CCL tear, which is very, very common in a lot of your big dogs, um, the cost for that surgical procedure is anywhere from $2,000 to $8,000, depending on where you are. That's a lot of money, and not many people have that. So if they say, I don't want to do surgery, and the medication's not working, what then? So a lot of your, your vets are going to get really quiet when you say that because they don't have anything else to do besides those options. I mean, some of them have laser some of them know rehab clinics, but what then if the owner doesn't have the ability to go do any of that? Maybe they can't drive that far because they're older, or maybe they can't get their uh, pet very easy in and out of the car and you're a house call practice. So these are real considerations that a vet you know, may want to know about that uh, could help their practice. Even if it's a you know an older pet and they're just not getting around great and the owner just wants to get a couple more quality years or days out of their animal and adjustment can help tremendously with that. Um, I also mentioned during my lunch, and, my lunch and Learn events, our education. I think in vet school, what needs to happen is there needs to be a day when we go in we have a huge seminar and we say, this is what chiropractic is. This is what it does. I brought my table. Everybody come get adjusted. Because if you're going to medical school and you don't receive a treatment yourself, you're never going to understand the therapeutic value of that treatment. So for me personally, I can't speak for anyone else, but when I was treating humans and I was recommending exercises because I was trained in physiotherapy, for humans is I would do all the exercises myself. I wanted to understand the stretches. I want to understand the strengthening exercises before I even recommended them to a patient. I know a lot of my vet surgeons actually, like anesthetics and stuff like that, they'll actually use on themselves to see the benefit before they ever use it on a patient. You can read the research studies, but you will never truly understand what you're recommending unless you have experience with it yourself. So that is what I recommend 
to them is to, hey, if you don't understand chiropractic, but you've never been, well, then you need to go in order to understand it and be able to recommend it. And also, um, you know, I personally say adjustments are preventative as well. So think about all those preventative things that veterinarians recommend, like say your dentals or your vaccines or well checks or regular blood work and stuff like that. What if there was regular spinal care or musculoskeletal care to help prevent these degenerative issues from ever starting? So if I could do a dental once a year for a dog to prevent all those tooth extractions, what about I do an adjustment once a month to prevent that spinal surgery later down the road? And it's just a mindset shift. And um, I unfortunately think that the vets just don't know because they aren't trained in vet school about our training. And if we just went over, hey, this is my training. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is what it feels like. I think that would bridge the gap. Um, I also go over in my Lunch and Learn event, I try and demonstrate. What I mean by demonstrate is um, I have a four-point spinal screening that I also have in my program that I'm developing. Um, but I'll try and show an animal's um, before and after treatment because we're all looking for objective measures in order to prove that, hey, the animal's better. So the four points I use is hyperpendiculus response. I find areas that are exquisitely tender, and I palpate it, and I show the vets, hey, look at this. He's flinching just right here. Everywhere else I poke, he's fine, but just right here, he's flinching. Then I'll show a decrease in reflexes or their coordination. I do knuckling response. Sometimes I'll do a patellar reflex, you know, something that is very easy to see. Knuckling's usually pretty easy because they flip the paw pad right back over. I'll also show a decrease in range of motion. I usually do the neck and I show them, hey, this dog can't turn their head very far to the right versus the left. They can go all the way to their hip. That's a significant change from side to side. And then your smaller animals, I'll take their hips back into extension and I'll check a length length test and I'll say, hey, look at these ankles. These are uneven. Have you noticed this? And then if, say, it's a large dog or a horse, I'll palpate the psoas. Almost every dog, um, and horse for that matter, usually has a tight psoas on one side. You can say, feel this side. You feel how it feels like a fist? Feel this side. You feel how that's squishy? That would be a change in the muscle tone that you can look for in your vet office. Um, there's some other things that if you want to include, you can include that, but those are my big four that I use that during a lunch and learn or during a screening, these are easy things to point out that would objectively say an animal needs to be treated. And vets aren't necessarily trained how to check for muscular or skeletal, skeletal pain during their rounds or during their, um, their training at vet school. So, Oh, this is a lot of, I don't want to say ranting, but um, Dr. Emily McLeod is also a huge mentor of mine, and um, she changed my perception on, um, I am not, I'm not feeding off of the vet, I am offering them something. Um, so, I think I had a an internal complex about I don't want to be a leech off of their practice. I always want to give back. And um, like I said before, I'm a unicorn. I am not a freak of nature. So I'm here to offer them 
so, so much to their practice. And just a handful of things that you can offer to a vet practice would be passive income. You being in their room, treating patients, offering them a percentage. So say you charge 50 bucks and you offer them five bucks a head. They don't even have to be there in the room. They, you know, if there's uh, direct supervision, they have to be in the office, but they don't have to be right there with you and you're passively making them income. That is five bucks they wouldn't otherwise have. And if you add that, say you do 10 patients that day, that's 50 bucks their clinic wouldn't have had. Who doesn't like passive income? You also offer the potential conversion of clients. Say you have uh, these people desperate to find an animal chiropractor and you're in that vet's office and they come in and they say, oh, I like this vet office and they change over their care to that office. Those are new patients the vet could stand to gain or say they need a new patient exam in order to get a referral. Those are new patients coming into that practice who may need God knows what over the years. You also extend quality of life, uh, and this is this is critical. So you extend quality of life for these older patients so they don't have to be euthanized. So that way they need more well checks throughout the year. So if your pet was going to be put down at age 8, but you keep it going on wellness care for another 2 or 3 years, those are 2 or 3 more well checks the owner is going to need. Plus the added benefit, the owner's really, really happy with you that you kept their animal alive a lot longer. There's also, unfortunately, acute needs as well that you can tend to. You can see these intervertebral disc disease patients, these weenie dogs that are suddenly paralyzed, and you can offer special needs boarding. Um, so if you have a little weenie dog and he needs to be adjusted two or three times a week and the vet also has laser and you want to offer a package deal uh, while they're there, then that's you know, something that the owner, they feels like they're getting a huge bargain out of that and their animal's getting taken great care of uh, while a vet is uh, watching over them during their recovery. It also is a huge benefit to owners if um, they feel like the vet is hiring a specialist to come in versus just tacking on stuff to their bill. So I personally have this. I check all my receipts and I want to make sure that I have paid appropriately for everything. If I get upsold, say, on like my internet bill, I'm like, what is that extra 100 bucks on there? So I feel like owners would rather say, okay, look, we have this specialist here that's going to offer specialty care and do their own thing versus, oh, well, our vet's just giving something a shot and we'll just add it on to your bill. And, um, I personally would appreciate that a lot more. It looks a lot better to me than oh, our vet's just going to try something. Um, and you also get the added benefit of, you know, calling me a specialist, which I like as well. Um, and then you, as a chiropractor in an office and say you're the specialist there, but you see an animal needs something like a nail trim or a dental, or they really could benefit from an x-ray, you have the added benefit being in a vet office of sending them for those services. And those services do add up. So whether you believe in integrative care or not, I personally am a huge fan. I'm moving my house called practice um, towards locations recently, and I am in love with the amount of patients I can see. I'm in love with having second opinions available to me, and also it's going to move the profession so much further because a patient that is brought into me on a pillow and four visits later they're walking and the vet is right there to witness it. 
What is that going to do for the field of animal chiropractic? It's going to grow it tremendously. We need to make changes and we need to set ourselves apart. We also need to see the value that we offer for our counterparts because this is not something they teach in vet school and it needs to be available to more animals and more spines of all shapes and sizes. So this is kind of like a rant, but uh, <laughs> this podcast is specifically tailored towards making you feel like you are a part of an integrative care team for animals, not just a freak of nature offering a random service, uh, petting all the dogs, as some people call it. You get paid to pet dogs. No, I'm part of an animal healthcare team. I'm a very important part. I'm the freaking unicorn on the team. There's not many people like me. There's not many people like you who offer an uh, awesome service. So this is Dr. Katie with Making Strides for Animal Cairo. If you like what I'm doing here, please leave me a review. Uh, scroll down if you're on an Apple product and leave a review or a comment. Um, and then if you are also on Instagram or Facebook, please join our Facebook group and engage. Let us know how we're doing. And uh, tell your friend that is an animal chiropractor about this podcast. I would love to help them with their practice so that way they can reach more patients, do more good, and, uh, you know, adjust all the spines. So until next week, I hope you have a great, great week in practice, and I'll talk to you soon. Hey guys, Dr. Katie here. Thanks for listening. My intention behind starting this podcast was to build awareness and promote our amazing profession. If you like what we're doing here, please like, share, or leave a review. Help us to spread this movement so we all can begin to take steps towards change. Let's make strides for animal chiropractic.